From the Conference Center at Temple Square in Salt Lake City, this is the Sunday afternoon session of the 189th Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with speakers selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music for this session is provided by the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. This broadcast is furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. President Henry B. Eyring, second counselor in the first presidency of the church, will conduct this session. Brothers and sisters, we welcome you to the Sunday afternoon session of the 189th Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. President Russell M. Nelson, who presides at the conference, has asked me to conduct this session. We extend our greetings to members of the Church and friends everywhere who are participating in these proceedings by radio, television, the Internet, or satellite transmission. The music for this session will be provided by the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square under the direction of Mac Wilberg and Ryan Murphy with Bonnie Goodliffe and Linda Margetts at the organ. organ. The choir will open this meeting by singing, Sweet is the Work. The invocation will then be offered by Elder Taniela B. Wakolo of the Seventy.
eternal Father in heaven, we bow our heads before thee with humility and grateful hearts as we gather together at this time at the uh, last session of this annual general conference. We are grateful, dear Father, for thy perfect plan and for thy perfect Son and his atonement. Indeed, there is sweet in the work of the salvation of thy children, and sweet is the work. We are grateful, dear Father, for this church named after thy beloved Son. We are grateful for prophets and apostles who continue to teach us and minister to us. We pray for them and their beloved families, as well as those who will minister to us at this session, including the choir. For those of us who are willing to change and decide to change, will now please help us that we will do so. And for those who needed healing and comfort, will now please bless us with thy spirit. We thank thee once again, dear Father, and we love thee. This is our humble prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The choir will now favor us with Come Unto Jesus. After the singing, we will be pleased to hear from President Dallin H. Oaks, first counselor in the First Presidency. He will be followed by Elder Juan Pablo Villar of the Seventy, Elder Garrett W. Gong of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles will then address us.
In mortality, we are subject to the laws of man and the laws of God. I've had the unusual experience of judging serious misbehavior under both of these laws. Earlier, as a justice of the Utah Supreme Court, and now as a member of the First Presidency. The contrast I've experienced between the laws of man and the laws of God has increased my appreciation for the reality and power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Under the laws of man, a person guilty of the most serious crimes can be sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. But it is different under the merciful plan of a loving Heavenly Father. I have witnessed that these same serious sins can be forgiven in mortality because of our Savior's atoning sacrifice for the sins of all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Christ redeems and his atonement is real. The loving compassion of our Savior is expressed in the great hymn just performed by the choir. Come unto Jesus, he'll ever heed you, though in the darkness you've gone astray. His love will find you and gently lead you from darkest night into day. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ opens the door for all men to repent and come unto him. The Book of Alma reports repentance and forgiveness, even of those who had been a wicked and a bloodthirsty people. My message today is one of hope for all of us, including those who have lost their membership in the Church by excommunication or name removal. We are all sinners who can be cleansed by repentance. To repent from sin is not easy, Elder Russell M. Nelson taught in a prior general conference, but the prize is worth the price. Repentance begins with our Savior, and it is a joy, not a burden. In last December's Christmas devotional, President Nelson taught, True repentance is not an event, it is a never-ending privilege. It is fundamental to progression and having peace of mind, comfort, and joy. End of quote. Some of the greatest teachings on repentance are in Alma's Book of Mormon sermon to members of the Church whom he later described as having been in a state of much unbelief, lifted up in pride, and with hearts set upon riches and the vain things of the world. Each member of this restored church has much to learn from Alma's inspired teachings. We begin with faith in Jesus Christ because it is he that cometh to take away the sins of the world. We must repent because, as Alma taught, except ye repent, ye can in no wise inherit the kingdom of heaven. Repentance is an essential part of God's plan. 
Because all would sin in our mortal experience and be cut off from God's presence, man could not be saved without repentance. This has been taught from the beginning. The Lord commanded Adam, Teach it unto your children that all men everywhere must repent, or they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. For no unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence. We must repent of all our sins, all of our actions or inactions contrary to the commandments of God. No one is exempt. Just last evening, President Nelson challenged us, Brethren, we all need to repent. To be cleansed by repentance, we must forsake our sins and confess them to the Lord and to his mortal judge where required. Alma taught that we must also bring forth works of righteousness. All of this is part of the frequent scriptural invitation to come unto Christ. We need to partake of the sacrament each Sabbath day. In that ordinance, we make covenants and receive blessings that help us overcome all acts and desires that block us from the perfection our Savior invites us to achieve. As we deny ourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all our might, mind, and strength, then we may be perfect in Christ and be sanctified through the shedding of his blood to become holy without spot. What a promise. What a miracle. What a blessing. One purpose of God's plan for this mortal experience is to prove us to see if we will do all things whatsoever the Lord our God shall command us. As part of this plan, we are accountable to God and to his chosen servants, and that accountability involves both mortal and divine judgments. In the Lord's Church, mortal judgments for members or prospective members are administered by leaders who seek divine direction. It is their responsibility to judge persons who are seeking to come unto Christ to receive the power of his atonement on the covenant path to eternal life. Mortal judgments determine whether a person is ready for baptism, is a person worthy of a recommend to attend the temple, has a person whose name was removed from the records of the Church repented sufficiently through the atonement of Jesus Christ to be readmitted by baptism. When a mortal judge called of God approves a person for further progress, such as temple privileges, he is not signifying that person as perfect, and he is not forgiving any sins. Elder Spencer W. Kimball taught that after what he called the mortal waiving of penalties, a person, quote, must also seek and secure from the God of heaven a final repentance, and only he can absolve." End of quote. And if sinful acts and desires remain unrepented until the final judgment, 
An unrepentant person will remain unclean. The ultimate accountability, including the final cleansing effect of repentance, is between each of us and God. The judgment most commonly described in the scriptures is the final judgment that follows the resurrection. Many scriptures state that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged according to the deeds that have been done in the mortal body. All will be judged according to their works and according to the desires of their hearts. The purpose of this final judgment is to determine whether we have achieved what Alma described as a mighty change of heart, where we have become new creatures with no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. The judge of this is our Savior, Jesus Christ. After his judgment, we will all confess that his judgments are just, because his omniscience has given him a perfect knowledge of all of our acts and desires, both those righteous or repented and those unrepented or unchanged. The scriptures describe the process of this final judgment. Alma teaches that the justice of our God requires that in the resurrection all things should be restored to their proper order. This means that, quote, if their works were good in this life and the desires of their hearts were good, at the last day they will be restored unto that which is good. Similarly, continuing the quote, if their works or their desires are evil, they shall be restored to them for evil. Similarly, the prophet Jacob taught that in the final judgment, they who are righteous shall be righteous still, and they who are filthy shall be filthy still. That is the process preceding our standing before what Moroni calls the pleasing bar of the great Jehovah, the eternal judge of both quick and dead. To assure that we will be clean before God, we must repent before the final judgment. As Alma told his sinful son, we cannot hide our sins before God, and except ye repent, they will stand as a testimony against you at the last day. The atonement of Jesus Christ gives us the only way to achieve the needed cleansing through repentance, and this mortal life is the time to do it. Although we're taught that some repentance can occur in the spirit world, that is not as certain. Elder Malin J. Ballard taught, quote, It is much easier to overcome and serve the Lord when both flesh and spirit are combined as one. This is the time when men are more pliable and susceptible. This life is the time to repent, end of quote. When we repent, we have the Lord's assurance that our sins, including our acts and desires, will be cleansed and our merciful final judge will remember them no more. 
Cleansed by repentance, we can qualify for eternal life, which King Benjamin described as dwelling with God in a state of never-ending happiness. As another part of God's plan of restoration, the resurrection will restore all things to their proper and perfect frame. This includes the perfection of all of our physical deformities and deficiencies acquired in mortality, including at birth or by trauma or disease. Does this restoration perfect us of all our unholy or unconquered desires or addictions? That cannot be. We know from modern revelation that we will be judged for our desires as well as our actions and that even our thoughts will condemn us. We must not procrastinate the day of our repentance until death, Amulek taught, because the same spirit that has possessed our body in this life, whether the Lord's or the devil's, will have power to possess our body in that eternal world. Our Savior has the power and stands ready to cleanse us from evil. Now is the time to seek his help, to repent of our wicked or unseemly desires and thoughts, to be clean and prepared to stand before God at the final judgment. Overarching God's plan and all of his commandments is his love for each of us, which is most desirable above all things and the most joyous to the soul. The prophet Isaiah assured even the wicked that when they return unto the Lord, he will have mercy and abundantly pardon. Alma taught, Behold, he sendeth an invitation unto all men, for the arms of mercy are extended towards them. The risen Lord told the Nephites, Behold, mine arm of mercy is extended towards you, and whosoever will come, him will I receive. From these and many other scriptural teachings, we know that our loving Savior opens his arms to receive all men and women on the loving conditions he has prescribed to enjoy the greatest blessings God has for his children. Because of God's plan and the atonement of Jesus Christ, I testify with a perfect brightness of hope that God loves us and we can be cleansed by the process of repentance. We are promised that if we press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ and endure to the end, Behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. May we all do so, I plead and pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I'm grateful for the blessing of having a physical body which is an amazing gift from our Heavenly Father. Our bodies have over 600 muscles. Many muscles require exercise in order to be in condition to perform our daily activities. We could expend much mental effort reading and learning about our muscles, but if we think this will make them stronger, we will be very disappointed.
Our muscles grow only when we use them. I have come to realize that spiritual gifts behave in the same way. They also need to be exercised to grow. The spiritual gift of faith, for example, is not just a feeling or a mood. It is a principle of action that frequently appears in the scriptures linked to the verb exercise. Just as reading and learning about muscles is not enough to build muscle, reading and learning about faith without adding action is insufficient to build faith. When I was 16 years old, my oldest brother, Ivan, who was 22 at the time, came home one day and shared some news with the family. He had decided to get baptized in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our parents looked at him somewhat skeptically, and I remember not completely understanding what was going on. A year or so later, he, he gave us more surprising news. He had decided to serve as a missionary of the church, which meant that we were not going to see him for two years. My parents were not thrilled with this news. However, I saw in him a clear determination that increased my admiration for him and the decision he had made. Months later, while Ivan was serving his mission, I had the opportunity to plan a vacation with some schoolmates. We wanted to celebrate the end of our high school years and spend a few days at the beach. I wrote a letter to my missionary brother mentioning my summer vacation plans. He wrote back that the town he was serving in was on the way to my destination. I decided it would be a good idea to stop by and visit him. It was not until later that I learned that the missionaries are not supposed to be visited by family. I made all the arrangements. I remember sitting on the bus thinking of all the fun Ivan and I would have together on this beautiful sunny day. We would have breakfast, chat, play in the sun, sunbathe. What a great time we were going to have. As the bus arrived at the terminal, I saw Ivan standing next to another young man, both in white shirts and ties. I got off the bus, we hugged each other, and he introduced his companion. Without wasting another minute, I told my brother my plans for that day. But little did I know what Ivan had scheduled. He looked at me, smiled, and said, Sure. However, we need to do some errands first. Will you come with us? I agreed, thinking that we would have enough time to enjoy the beach after war. That day, for more than 10 hours, I walk, <laughs> I walk through the street of that town with my brother and his companion. I smiled at people all day. I greeted people I had never seen in my life. We talked to everyone, knocked on the doors, and visited people my brother and his companion were teaching. During one such visit, my brother and his companion were teaching about Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation. Suddenly, Ivan paused and looked at me. To my surprise, he politely asked me to share my opinion about 
what was being taught. The room fell silent, and all eyes were on me. With some difficulty, I finally found the words and shared my feelings about the Savior. I did not know if what I shared was right or wrong. My brother never corrected me. To the contrary, he thanked me for sharing my thoughts and feelings. During those hours together, my brother and his companion did not spend a single minute teaching a lesson exclusively to me. Yet, I gained more knowledge that, than in all my previous conversation with him. I witnessed how countenances were changed as people received spiritual light in their lives. I saw how some of them found hope in the messages. And I learned how to serve others and forget about myself and my own desires. I was doing what the Savior taught. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Looking back, I realized that my faith grew that day because my brother gave me the opportunity to put it in action. I exercised it as we read from the scriptures, looked for people to teach, bore testimony, served others, and so on. We never got around to sunbathing that day, but my heart was bathed in light from heaven. I did not see even one small grain of sand at the beach, but my, I, felt that, I felt my faith grow like a small grain of mustard seed. I did not spend the sunny day as a tourist, but I gained wonderful experiences. And without realizing it, I was a missionary without even being a member of the church. <laughs> Thanks to the restoration of the gospel, we can come to understand how our Heavenly Father helps us develop spiritual gifts. It is more likely that he will give us opportunities to develop those gifts rather than just granting them to us without spiritual and physical effort. If we are in tune with his spirit, we will learn to identify those opportunities and then act upon them. If we seek more patience, we may find ourselves needing to practice it while waiting for a response. If we want to have more love for our neighbor, we can foster it by sitting next to a new face at church. With faith, it is similar. When doubts come to our minds, trusting in the Lord's promises will be required to move forward. In this way, we are exercising spiritual muscles and developing them into sources of strength in our lives. It will probably not be easy at the beginning, and it might even become a big challenge. The words of the Lord through the prophet Moroni apply to us today. And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have or exercise faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. I am grateful for my brother Ivan 
who not only shared the gospel with me, but also indirectly invited me to live it and recognize my weaknesses. He helped me to accept the invitation of the Master, come, follow me, to walk as the Savior walked, seek as the Savior sought, and love as the Savior loves us. Months later, after my missionary experience, I decided to get baptized and to serve my own mission. Let's accept the invitation of President Russell M. Nelson and intently come unto the Savior by identifying those muscles that need more spiritual activity and starting to exercise them. This is a long distance, a marathon race, rather than a sprint. So do not forget those small but constant spiritual activities that will strengthen those important spiritual muscles. If we want to increase our faith, then let's do things that require faith. I bear my witness that we are children of a loving Heavenly Father. His Son, Jesus Christ, loves us. He came to this world to show us the way and then gave his life voluntarily to give us hope. The Savior invites us to follow his perfect example, to exercise our faith in him and his atonement, and to expand all the spiritual gifts that we have been blessed with. He is the way. This is my testimony. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Dear brothers and sisters, have you ever had trouble falling asleep and tried counting imaginary sheep? As fluffy sheep jump over a fence, you count one, two, three, 245, 246, 657, 658. In my case, counting sheep doesn't make me sleepy. I worry about missing or losing one, and that keeps me awake. With the shepherd boy who became a king, we declare, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. At this Easter season, we celebrate the Good Shepherd, who is also the Lamb of God. Of all his divine titles, no others are more tender or telling. We learn much from our Savior's reference to himself as the Good Shepherd and from prophetic testimonies of him as the Lamb of God. These roles and symbols are powerfully complementary. Who better to succor each precious lamb than the Good Shepherd? And who better to be our Good Shepherd than the Lamb of God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and God's only begotten Son laid down his life in willing obedience to his Father. 
Jesus testifies, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus had power to lay down his life and power to take it up again. United with his Father, our Savior uniquely blesses us, both as our good shepherd and as the Lamb of God. As our good shepherd, Jesus Christ calls us in his voice and his name. He seeks and gathers us. He teaches us how to minister in love. Let us consider these three themes, beginning with him calling us in his voice and his name. First, our good shepherd calleth his own sheep by name. They know his voice, and in his own name he doth call you, which is the name of Christ. As we seek with real intent to follow Jesus Christ, inspiration comes to do good, to love God, and to serve him. As we study, ponder, and pray, as we regularly renew sacramental and temple covenants, and as we invite all to come to his gospel and ordinances, we are hearkening to his voice. In our day, President Russell M. Nelson counsels us to call the restored church by the name Jesus Christ revealed, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Lord said, Whatsoever ye shall do, ye shall do it in my name. Therefore ye shall call the Church in my name, and ye shall call upon the Father in my name, that he will bless the Church for my sake. Across the world, in our hearts and homes, we call upon the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. We are grateful for such generous blessing of our home-centered, church-supported worship, gospel study, and wholesome family activities. Second, our Good Shepherd seeks and gathers us into his one fold. He asks, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Our Savior reaches out to the one and to the ninety and nine, often at the same time. As we minister, we acknowledge the ninety and nine who are steadfast and immovable, even while we yearn after the one who has strayed. Our Savior seeks and delivers us out of all places from the four quarters of the earth. He gathers us by holy covenant and his atoning blood. Our Savior told his New Testament disciples, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. In the Americas, the resurrected Lord testified the Lehi's covenant children, Ye are my sheep. And Jesus said, Yet other sheep would hear his voice. What a blessing the Book of Mormon is, as another testament witnessing the voice of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ invites the Church to receive all who hear his voice and keep his commandments. The doctrine of Christ includes baptism by water and by fire and the Holy Ghost. Nephi asks, If the Lamb of God, he being holy, should have need to be baptized by water to fulfill all righteousness, oh, then how much more need have we, being unholy, 
to be baptized, yea, even by water. Today, our Savior desires that what we do and who we are becoming will invite others to come follow Him. Come find love, healing, connection, and covenant belonging in Him, including in God's holy temple, where sacred ordinances of salvation can bless all family members, thus gathering Israel on both sides of the veil. Third, as shepherd of Israel, Jesus Christ exemplify how shepherds in Israel minister in love. When our Lord asked if we love him, as he did with Simon Peter, our Savior implores, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. The Lord promises that when his shepherds feed his lambs and sheep, those in his fold shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking. Our good shepherd cautions that shepherds in Israel must not slumber, nor scatter or cause the sheep to go astray, nor look our own way for our own gain. God's shepherds are to strengthen Heal, bind up that which is broken, bring again that which was driven away, seek that which was lost. The Lord also warns of hirelings who careth not for the sheep, and false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Our Good Shepherd rejoices when we exercise individual moral agency with intention and faith, those in his fold look to our Savior in gratitude for his atoning sacrifice. We covenant to follow him, not passively, blindly, or sheepishly, but instead desiring with all our hearts and minds to love God and our neighbor, bearing one another's burdens, and rejoicing in one another's joys. As Christ freely dedicated his will to the will of the Father, so we reverently take upon us his name. We gladly seek to join his work of gathering and ministering to all of God's children. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is our perfect Good Shepherd because he has laid down his life for us and is now gloriously resurrected. Jesus Christ is also the perfect Lamb of God. The sacrificial Lamb of God, as we have heard and been taught, was foreshadowed from the beginning. The angel told Adam his sacrifice is a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the Father, which invites us to repent and call upon God in the name of the Son forevermore. Father Abraham, who established covenant blessings for all the nations of the earth, experienced what it meant to offer his begotten son. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. 
apostles and prophets foresaw and rejoiced in the foreordained mission of the Lamb of God. John in the Old World and Nephi in the New World testified of the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father, the Redeemer of the world. Abinadi testified of Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Alma called the great and last sacrifice of the Son of God the one thing which is of more importance than they all. Alma encourages, have faith on the Lamb of God. Come and fear not. A dear friend here today shared how she gained her precious testimony of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. She grew up believing sin always brought great punishment borne by us alone. She pleaded to God to understand the possibility of divine forgiveness. She prayed to understand and to know how Jesus Christ can forgive those who repent, how mercy can satisfy justice. One day her prayer was answered in a spiritually transforming experience. A desperate young man came running out of a grocery store and carrying two bags of stolen food. He ran into a busy street, chased by the store manager, who caught him and began yelling and fighting. Instead of judgment for the frightened young man as a thief, my friend was unexpectedly filled with great compassion for him. Without fear or concern for her own safety, she walked straight up to the two quarreling men. She found herself saying, I will pay for the food. Please let him go. Please let me pay for the food. Prompted by the Holy Ghost and filled with a love she had never felt before, my friend said, All I wanted to do was help and save the young man. My friend said she began to understand Jesus Christ and his atonement. How and why, with pure and perfect love, Jesus Christ would willingly sacrifice to be her Savior and Redeemer and why she wanted him to be. No wonder we sing, See the Good Shepherd is seeking, seeking the lambs that are lost, bringing them in with rejoicing, saved at such infinite cost. As Lamb of God, our Savior knows when we feel alone, diminished, uncertain, or afraid. In vision, Nephi saw the power of the Lamb of God descend upon the saints of the Church of the Lamb and upon the covenant people of the Lord. Though scattered all upon the face of the earth, they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. This promise of hope and comfort includes our day. Are you the only member of the Church in your family, school, workplace, or community? Does your branch sometimes feel small or isolated? Have you moved to a new place, perhaps with an unfamiliar language or customs? Perhaps your life circumstances have changed and things you thought never, never thought possible now confront you. Our Savior assures us, whatever our circumstances, whoever we are, in the words of Isaiah, he shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Brothers and sisters, 
Our Good Shepherd calls us in His voice and in His name. He seeks, gathers, and comes to His people. Through His living prophet in each of us, He invites all to find peace, purpose, healing, and joy in the fullness of His restored gospel and on His covenant path. By example, He teaches the shepherds of Israel to minister in His love. As Lamb of God, His divine mission was foreordained and rejoiced in by apostles and prophets. His atonement, infinite and eternal, is central to the plan of happiness and the purpose of creation. He assures us that He carries us next to His heart. Dear brothers and sisters, may we desire to be humble followers of the God of God and the Lamb, perhaps someday to have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, to sing the song of the Lamb, to be invited to the supper of the Lamb. As shepherd and lamb he calls, come again to the true knowledge of your Redeemer, your great and true shepherd. I testify of him, our perfect shepherd, our perfect Lamb of God. He calls us by his name, even the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The congregation will now join the choir in singing Hark, All Ye Nations. After the singing, we will hear from Elder David A. Bednar of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He will be followed by Elder Kyle S. McKay of the Seventy, Elder Ronald A. Rasband of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles will then address us. This is the 189th Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
The programs and activities of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are becoming ever more home-centered and Church-supported, as evidenced by the series of adjustments announced in recent general conferences. President Russell M. Nelson has counseled all of us, quote, There is much more to come. Eat your vitamin pills. Get your rest. It's going to be exciting. Close quote. I pray for and invite the help of the Holy Ghost as we consider together several basic implications of these ongoing adjustments in the Lord's restored Church. Elder Craig C. Christensen and I were companions recently in a priesthood leadership conference, and he used two simple questions to emphasize the principle of becoming home-centered and Church-supported. He suggested that instead of returning to our homes after church meetings on Sunday and asking, What did you learn about the Savior and His gospel at church today? We should ask in our church meetings, What did you learn about the Savior and His gospel this week in your home? Proper Sabbath day observance, the new curriculum, and the adjusted meeting schedule all help us to learn the gospel both in our homes and at church. Each member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has an individual responsibility to learn and live the Lord's teachings and to receive by proper authority the ordinances of salvation and exaltation. We should not expect the Church as an organization to teach or tell us everything we need to know and do to become devoted disciples and endure valiantly to the end. Rather, our personal responsibility is to learn what we should learn, to live as we know we should live, and to become who the Master would have us become. And our homes are the ultimate setting for learning, living, and becoming. As a child, Joseph Smith learned of God from his family. His efforts to discover God's will for him caused Joseph to search for the truth among many different Christian denominations, ponder diligently the scriptures, and pray sincerely to God. As young Joseph returned to his home from the sacred grove immediately after the appearance of the Father and the Son, he spoke first with his mother. As he leaned up to the fireplace, his mother inquired what the matter was. Joseph replied, Never mind, all is well, I am well enough off. He then said to his mother, I have learned for myself. Joseph's experience provides a powerful pattern of learning that each of us should emulate. We too need to learn for ourselves. The overarching purpose of Heavenly Father's plan is for His children to become more like Him. Accordingly, He provides us with essential opportunities to grow and progress. Our commitment to live and learn according to truth is increasingly important in a world that is in commotion and is ever more confused and wicked. We cannot expect simply to attend Church meetings and participate in programs 
and thereby receive all of the spiritual edification and protection that will enable us to withstand in the evil day. Parents have a sacred duty to rear their children in love and righteousness. Inspired leaders, teachers, and activities help individual and family efforts to grow spiritually. And though we all need help pressing forward on the covenant path, the ultimate responsibility for developing spiritual strength and stamina rests upon each one of us. Recall how Nephi, son of the prophet Lehi, desired to see, hear, and know for himself by the power of the Holy Ghost the things his father had learned in the vision of the tree of life. Nephi clearly needed and was blessed in his youth by the example and teachings of his goodly parents. Yet, just like Joseph Smith, he yearned to learn and know for himself. If all you or I know about Jesus Christ and his restored gospel is what other people teach or tell us, then the foundation of our testimony of him and his glorious Latter-day work is built upon sand. We cannot rely exclusively upon or borrow gospel light and knowledge from other people, even those whom we love and trust. Significantly, the Prophet Joseph Smith taught that each Latter-day Saint needs to understand for himself or herself the designs and purposes of God in our coming into the world. Quote, could, we read all, could we read and comprehend all that has been written from the days of Adam on the relation of man to God and angels in a future state? We should know very little about it. Reading the experiences of others or the revelation given to them can never give us a comprehensive view of our condition and true relation to God. Knowledge of these things can only be obtained by experience through the ordinances of God set forth for that purpose. Close quote. Enabling the accomplishment of this grand spiritual objective for individuals and families is one of the fundamental reasons the programs and activities of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are becoming more home-centered and Church-supported in this specific season of the dispensation of the fullness of times. Let me summarize a few basic implications of gospel learning becoming increasingly home-centered and church-supported. The ultimate missionary training center is in our homes. Secondary missionary training centers are located in Provo, Manila, Mexico City, and in other locations. Our most instructive Sunday school classes should be our individual and family study in our places of residence. Helpful but secondary Sunday school classes are held in our meeting houses. Family history centers now are in our homes. Supplemental support for our family history research work also is available in our meeting houses. Vital temple preparation classes occur in our homes. 
Important but secondary temple preparation classes also may be conducted periodically in our meeting houses. Making our homes sanctuaries wherein we can stand in holy places is essential in these latter days. And as important as home-centered and Church-supported learning is for our spiritual strength and protection today, it will be even more vital in the future. Please consider how the principle of home-centered and Church-supported applies to our individual preparation and worthiness to receive sacred ordinances and covenants in the house of the Lord. Indeed, temple preparation is most effective in our homes. But many Church members are unsure about what they appropriately can and cannot say regarding the temple experience outside of the temple. President Ezra Taft Benson described why this uncertainty exists. Quote, The temple is a sacred place, and the ordinances in the temple are of a sacred character. Because of its sacredness, we are sometimes reluctant to say anything about the temple to our children and grandchildren. As a consequence, many do not develop a real desire to go to the temple. Or when they go there, they do so without much background to prepare them for the obligations and covenants they enter into. President Benson continues, I believe a proper understanding or background will immeasurably help prepare our youth for the temple and will foster within them a desire to seek their priesthood blessings just as Abraham sought his." Two basic guidelines can help us achieve the proper understanding emphasized by President Benson. Guideline number one, because we love the Lord, we always should speak about His holy house with reverence. We should not disclose or describe the special symbols associated with the covenants we receive in sacred temple ceremonies. Neither should we discuss the holy information that we specifically promise in the temple not to reveal. Guideline number two, the temple is the house of the Lord. Everything in the temple points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We may discuss the basic purposes for and the doctrine of and the principles associated with temple ordinances and covenants. President Howard W. Hunter counseled, quote, Let us share with our children the spiritual feelings we have in the temple and let us teach them more earnestly and more comfortably the things we can appropriately say about the purposes of the house of the Lord. Close quote. Now, brothers and sisters, across the generations, from the prophet Joseph Smith to President Russell M. Nelson, the doctrinal purposes of temple ordinances and covenants have been taught extensively by church leaders. A rich reservoir of resources exists in print, audio, video, and other formats to help us learn about initiatory ordinances, endowments, 
marriages, and other sealing ordinances. Information also is available about following the Savior by receiving and honoring covenants to keep the law of obedience, the law of sacrifice, the law of the gospel, the law of chastity, and the law of consecration. All Church members should become with the excellent materials available at temples.churchofjesuschrist.org. President Russell M. Nelson emphasized the vital balance between the sacred nature of temple ceremonies and the valuable information about temples published by the Church that is accurate, appropriate, and available publicly. He explained, quote, I recommend that members read the entries in the Bible dictionary that are related to the temple, such as anoint, covenant, sacrifices, and temple. One may also wish to read Exodus chapters 26 through 29 and Leviticus chapter 8. The Old Testament, as well as the books of Moses and Abraham in the Pearl of Great Price, underscores the antiquity of temple work and the enduring nature of its ordinances. Close quote. So imagine that your son or daughter asks, Someone at school told me that strange clothing is worn in the temple. Is that right? A short video is available on temples.churchofjesuschrist.org entitled Sacred Temple Clothing. This excellent resource explains how from ancient times men and women have embraced sacred music, different forms of prayer, symbolic religious clothing, gestures, and rituals to express their innermost feelings of devotion to God. Thus, the Church supports home-centered preparation for the glorious blessings of the temple through basic instruction and remarkable resources such as this video. Much useful information is available for all of us. As we strive to walk in the meekness of the Lord's Spirit, we will be blessed to understand and achieve in our homes the necessary balance between what is and what is not appropriate to discuss about sacred temple ordinances and covenants. I suspect that some of you may be wondering if your gospel learning actually can become home-centered and Church-supported. Perhaps you are the only member of the Church in your home, or have an unsupportive spouse, or are a single parent, or live alone as a single or divorced Latter-day Saint, and you may have questions about how these principles apply to you. You may be a husband and a wife looking at each other and questioning, Can we do this? Yes, you can do this. I promise that enabling blessings will flow into and be evident in your lives. Doors will open. The light will shine. Your capacity will be increased to persevere diligently and patiently. I joyfully witness that compensating blessings will come as we strive to fulfill our individual responsibility to learn and love the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. 
we truly can be prepared to obtain every needful thing. I so promise and testify in the sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Several years ago, our five-year-old son came to me and announced, Dad, I've figured something out. I've figured out that soon, for you, is a very long time for me. (laughs) When the Lord or his servants say things like, not many days hence, or the time is not far distant, it can literally mean a lifetime or longer. His time, and frequently his timing, is different from ours. Patience is key. Without it, we can neither develop nor demonstrate faith in God unto life and salvation. But my message today is that even while we are patiently waiting upon the Lord, there are certain blessings that come to us immediately. When Alma and his people were captured by the Lamanites, they prayed for deliverance. They were not immediately delivered. But while they patiently waited for deliverance, the Lord showed forth His goodness with certain immediate blessings. He immediately softened the hearts of the Lamanites so they wouldn't slay them. He also strengthened Alma's people and eased their burdens. When they finally were delivered, they traveled to Zarahemla, where they recounted their experience to an amazed audience. The people of Zarahemla marveled. Quote, And when they thought of the immediate goodness of God and his power in delivering Alma and his brethren out of bondage, they did raise their voices and give thanks to God. The immediate goodness of God comes to all who call upon him with real intent and full purpose of heart. This includes those who cry out in earnest desperation when deliverance seems so distant and suffering seems prolonged, even intensified. So it was with a young prophet who suffered to the brink in the dank of a dungeon before finally crying out, O God, where art thou? How long shall thy hand be stayed? Yea, O Lord, how long? In response, the Lord did not immediately deliver Joseph. But he did immediately pronounce peace. God also gives immediate hope for eventual deliverance. No matter what, no matter where, in Christ and through Christ, there is always hope, smiling brightly before us, immediately before us. Moreover, he has promised, My kindness shall not depart from thee. Above all, God's love is immediate. With Paul, I testify that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Even our sins, though they may separate us from His Spirit for a time, cannot separate us from the constancy and immediacy of His divine paternal love. These are just some of the ways and means by which He doth immediately bless us. Now, to bring these principles current and close, I share with you the experiences of two people whose lives stand as testaments of the immediate goodness of God. 
From the time she was a young teen, Emily struggled with substance abuse. Experimentation led to habit, and habit eventually hardened into an addiction that held her captive for years, notwithstanding occasional periods of wellness. Emily carefully concealed her problem, especially after she became a wife and mother. The beginning of her deliverance did not feel like deliverance at all. One minute, Emily was undergoing a routine medical exam, and the next, she was being driven by ambulance to an inpatient treatment facility. She began to panic as she thought of being separated from her children, her husband, her home. That night, alone in a cold, dark room, Emily curled up on her bed and sobbed. Her ability to reason diminished until finally, overcome with anxiety, fear, and the oppressive darkness in that room and in her soul, Emily actually thought she would die that night alone. In that desperate condition, Emily somehow summoned the strength to roll off her bed and onto her knees. Without any posturing that had sometimes been part of her previous prayers, Emily completely surrendered herself to the Lord as she desperately pleaded, Dear God, I need you. Please help me. I don't want to be alone. Please, get me through this night. And immediately, as he had done with Peter of old, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught her sinking soul. There came over Emily a wondrous calm, courage, assurance, and love. The room was no longer cold. She knew she was not alone, and for the first time since she was 14 years old, Emily knew everything would be all right. As she awoke unto God, Emily fell asleep in peace. And thus we see that if ye will repent and harden not your hearts, immediately shall the great plan of redemption be brought about unto you. Emily's healing, her recovery, and ultimate deliverance took months, a long time, with treatment, training, counseling, during which she was sustained and sometimes carried by His goodness. And that goodness continued with her, as she entered the temple with her husband and children to be sealed together forever. Like the people of Zarahemla, Emily now gives thanks as she reflects on the immediate goodness of God and His power in delivering her from bondage. Now from the life of another brave believer. On December 27, 2013, Alicia Schroeder joyfully welcomed her dear friends Sean and Charlotte Chilcote, who unexpectedly showed up on her doorstep. Sean, who was also Alicia's bishop, handed her his cell phone and solemnly said, Alicia, we love you. You need to take this call. Alicia's husband Mario was on the phone. He was in a remote area with some of their children on a long-anticipated snowmobile trip. There had been a terrible accident. Mario was seriously injured, and their 10-year-old son, Caleb, was gone.
When Mario tearfully told Alicia of Caleb's death, she was overcome with a shock and horror few of us will ever know. It dropped her. Paralyzed with unspeakable anguish, Alicia could neither speak nor move. Bishop and Sister Chilcote quickly lifted her up and held her. They wept and deeply grieved together for some time. Then Bishop Chilcote offered to give Alicia a blessing. What happened next is incomprehensible. Without some understanding of the Atonement of Jesus Christ and the immediate goodness of God. Bishop Chilcote gently placed his hands on Alicia's head and with quivering voice began to speak. Alicia heard two things as though spoken by God himself. First, she heard her name, Alicia Susan Schroeder. Then she heard the bishop invoke the authority of Almighty God. In that instant, at the mere utterance of her name and God's power, Alicia was filled with an indescribable peace, love, comfort, and somehow joy. And it has continued with her. Now, of course, Alicia, Mario, and their family still mourn for and miss Caleb. It is hard. Whenever I speak with them, Alicia's eyes well up with tears as she tells how much she loves and misses her little boy. And her eyes remain moist as she tells how the great Deliverer has sustained her through every bit of her ordeal, beginning with his immediate goodness during her deepest despair, and continuing now with the bright hope of a sweet reunion that is not many days hence. I realize that sometimes life's experiences create confusion and turbulence that can make it difficult to receive or recognize or retain the kind of relief that came to Emily and Alicia. I've been through such times. I testify that during such times, our mere preservation is a tender and powerful manifestation of the immediate goodness of God. Remember, ancient Israel was ultimately delivered by that same God who had preserved them day to day. I bear witness that Jesus Christ is the great Deliverer. And in His name I promise that as you turn to Him with real intent and full purpose of heart, He will deliver you from everything that threatens to diminish or destroy your life or joy. That deliverance may take longer than you would like, perhaps a lifetime or longer. So to give you comfort courage and hope to sustain and strengthen you to that day of ultimate deliverance, I commend to you and testify of the immediate goodness of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My dear brothers and sisters, 
As this conference comes to a close, I give thanks to our Father in Heaven for the counsel, truths, and revelation shared at this pulpit during the past two days. We have been taught by servants of God called to speak His holy words. The Lord has reminded us in Latter-day Revelation, whether by mine own voice or the voice of my servants, it is the same. Looking over this vast congregation of saints and picturing members watching General Conference all over the world, I think of the gathering in the Book of Mormon when Jesus Christ appeared to the Nephites following His crucifixion. He taught them the gospel, and then He encouraged, Go ye unto your homes and ponder upon the things which I have said, and ask of the Father in my name that ye may understand. Go ye unto your homes and ponder is the next step in taking to heart the words of prophets and church leaders spoken in this sacred setting. Christ-centered homes are fortresses for the kingdom of God on earth in a day when, as prophesied, the devil rages in the hearts of the children of men and stirs them up to anger against that which is good. People have built fortresses throughout history to keep the enemy outside. Often those fortresses include a guard tower where watchmen— like prophets, warned of menacing forces and coming attacks. In early Utah pioneer times, my great-grandfather, Thomas Rasband, and his family were some of the first settlers to enter the Heber Valley in the beautiful Wasatch Mountains of Utah. In 1859, Thomas helped construct the Heber Fort, built for their protection. It was a simple structure of cottonwood logs positioned one next to the other, forming the perimeter of the fort. Log cabins were built inside the fortress using that common wall. The structure provided both security and safety for those pioneer families as they put down roots and worshiped the Lord. So it is with us. Our homes are fortresses against the evils of the world. In our homes we come unto Christ by learning to follow His commandments, by studying the scriptures and praying together, and by helping one another stay on the covenant path. The new emphasis on personal and family study in the home through the curriculum Come Follow Me is designed to deepen our conversion and help us become more like Jesus Christ. In so doing, we will become what Paul called new creatures, with our hearts and souls in tune with God. We need that strength to face and deflect the assaults of the adversary. As we live with devotion, born of faith in Jesus Christ, we will feel the peaceful presence of the Holy Ghost, who guides us to truth, inspires us to live worthy of the Lord's blessings, and bears witness that God lives and loves us. All this within the fortress of our own homes. But remember, 
Our homes are only as powerful as the spiritual strength of each one of us within the walls. Dear President Russell M. Nelson has taught, quote, In coming days it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. End quote. As the Lord's living prophet, seer, and revelator in this day, the watchman on the tower of our fortress, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he sees the advances of the enemy. Brothers and sisters, we are at war with Satan for the souls of men. The battle lines were drawn in our pre-earth life. Satan and a third of our Father in Heaven's children turned away from his promises of exaltation. Since that time, the adversary's minions have been fighting the faithful who choose the Father's plan. Satan knows his days are numbered, and that time is growing shorter. As crafty and cunning as he is, he will not win. However, his battle for each one of our souls rages on. For our protection, we must build a fortress of spirituality and protection for our very souls, a fortress that will not be penetrated by the evil one. Satan is a subtle snake, sneaking into our minds and hearts when we have let our guard down, faced a disappointment, or lost hope. He entices us with flattery, a promise of ease, comfort, or a temporary high when we are low. He justifies pride, unkindness, dishonesty, discontent, and immorality. And in time, we can be past feeling. The Spirit can leave us, and thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. In contrast, we often feel the Spirit so powerfully as we sing praises to God with words like these. A mighty fortress is our God, a tower of strength ne'er failing. A helper mighty is our God, or ills of life prevailing. When we build a fortress of spiritual strength, we can shun the advances of the adversary, turn our backs on him, and feel the peace of the Spirit. We can follow the example of our Lord and Savior, who, when tempted in the wilderness, said, Get thee behind me, Satan. We each have to learn by the experiences of life how to do that. Such righteous purpose is well described in the Book of Mormon when Captain Moroni prepared the Nephites to face attacks from a deceitful, bloodthirsty, power-hungry Amalekiah. Moroni constructed fortresses to protect the Nephites, that they might live unto the Lord their God, and that they might maintain that which was called by their enemies the cause of Christians. Moroni was firm in the faith of Christ, 
And the people were faithful in keeping the commandments of God and resisting iniquity. When the Lamanites came to battle, they were astonished by the Nephites' preparation, and they were defeated. The Nephites thanked the Lord their God because of his matchless power in delivering them from the hands of their enemies. They had built fortresses for protection on the outside, and they had built faith in the Lord Jesus Christ on the inside, deep in their souls. What are some ways we can fortify ourselves in troubled times that we may be instruments in the hands of God to bring about this great work? Let's look to the scriptures. We are obedient. The Lord commanded Father Lehi to send his sons back to Jerusalem to seek the records and bring them down hither into the wilderness. Lehi didn't question. He didn't wonder why or how. Nor did Nephi, who responded, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. Do we act with the willing obedience of Nephi? Or are we more inclined to question God's commands, as did Nephi's brothers, whose lack of faith eventually turned them away from the Lord? Obedience, exercised with holiness of heart, is what the Lord asks of us. We trust the Lord, who said to Joshua, as he prepared to lead the Israelites into the promised land, Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Joshua trusted those words and counseled the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The Lord parted the waters of the Jordan and the Israelites' forty years of wandering in the wilderness ended. We stand for the truth, as did the prophet Abinadi in the Book of Mormon. Arrested, brought before King Noah and his wicked priests, Abinadi taught the Ten Commandments and preached powerfully that Christ would come down among the children of men and redeem his people. He then, with faith, deep within him, proclaimed, O God, receive my soul. And Abinadi suffered death by fire. We make and renew our covenants by partaking of the sacrament and by worshiping in the temple. The sacrament is the centerpiece of our Sunday worship, where we are receiving the promise to always have his spirit to be with us. With that sacred ordinance, we commit to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ, to follow him, and to shoulder our responsibilities in this divine work as he did. In the temple, we can lay aside the things of this world and feel the Lord's presence and his transcendent peace. We can focus on our ancestors, our families, and eternal life in the presence of the Father. No wonder, President Nelson stated recently in Rome, the good that will emanate from this temple is incalculably great.
We should have integrity in all that we do. We should develop discernment and discipline so that we do not have to continually determine what is right and what is wrong. We should take to heart the caution of Peter, the early church apostle, who cautioned, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. As we diligently strengthen our fortifications, we become like Jesus Christ. As his true disciples, with our very souls in his protection, your testimony of Jesus Christ is your personal fortress, the security for your soul. When my grandfather and his fellow pioneers built the Heber Fort, they put up one log at a time until the fort was fitly framed together, and they were protected. So it is with testimony. One by one, we gain a witness from the Holy Spirit as he speaks to our own spirit, teaching truth in the inward parts. When we live the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we draw upon the Savior's atonement and press forward with faith, not fear, we are fortified against the wiles of the adversary. Our testimonies connect us to the heavens, and we are blessed with truth of all things. And like a fortress, we are safely encircled in the arms of the Savior's love. The prophet Ether taught, Wherefore, whoso believeth in God might with surety hope for a better world, yea, even a place at the right hand of God, which hope cometh of faith, maketh an anchor to the souls of men, which would make them sure and steadfast, always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. My dear brothers and sisters, I leave you with my blessing to go forth with confidence in the Lord and in his gospel. Put your arms around those who stumble. And with the strength of the Spirit within you, lead them lovingly back to the fortress of spirituality and protection. Seek to be like Jesus in all that you do. Shun evil and temptations. Repent as we were admonished yesterday by our dear prophet. Be honest in heart. Be upright and pure. Show compassion and charity. And love the Lord your God with the devotion of a true disciple. Our testimonies of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our homes, our families, and our membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints will be our personal fortress of protection, surrounding us and shielding us from the power of the evil one. Of this I bear my solemn witness in the name of our Lord and Savior, even Jesus Christ. Amen.
At the conclusion of the conference, we express sincere appreciation to all who have worked so diligently to prepare these services. We thank those who have spoken and those who have provided the uplifting music. The choir will now favor us with I Know That My Savior Loves Me, followed by our beloved prophet, President Russell M. Nelson. Following his remarks, the choir will sing I Need Thee Every Hour. The benediction will then be offered by Elder Claudio R. M. Costa of the Seventy, and the conference will be adjourned.
My beloved brothers and sisters, as we come to the end of this historic conference, we thank the Lord for his inspiration and protection. The messages have instructed and edified us. Topics were not assigned to the speakers. They each prayed for personal revelation in preparing their messages. To me, it is remarkable how these themes seem to fit so well with each other. As you study them, seek to learn what the Lord is trying to teach you through his servants. The music has been glorious. We are deeply grateful to the many musicians who have blended their talents to bring the Spirit of the Lord into each session. And he has blessed the prayers and the congregations in every session. Truly, conference has again been a spiritual feast for us all. We hope and pray that each member's home will become a true sanctuary of faith where the Spirit of the Lord may dwell. Despite contention all around us, one's home can become a heavenly place where study, prayer, and faith can be merged with love. We can truly become disciples of the Lord, standing up and speaking up for Him wherever we are. God's objective should be our objective. He wants His children to choose to return to Him, prepared, qualified, endowed, sealed, and faithful to covenants made in holy temples. We now have 162 dedicated temples. The earliest ones stand as monuments to the faith and vision of our beloved pioneers. Each temple constructed by them resulted from their great personal sacrifice and effort. Each one stands as a stunning jewel in the crown of pioneer achievement. Ours is a sacred responsibility to care for them. Therefore, these pioneer temples will soon undergo a period of renewal and refreshing, and for some, a major restoration. Efforts will be made to preserve the unique historicity of each temple wherever possible preserving the inspiring beauty and unique craftsmanship of generations long since past. Details for the St. George, Utah Temple have already been released. Plans for the renovation of the Salt Lake Temple, Temple Square, and the adjoining plaza near the Church Office Building will be announced on Friday, April 19, 2019. The Manti and Logan temples will also be renovated in coming years. When those plans are prepared, they too will be announced. This work will require that each temple be closed for a period of time. Church members may continue to enjoy temple worship and service in other temples nearby. When each project is completed, each historic temple will be rededicated. Brothers and sisters, we regard a temple 
as the most sacred structure in the Church. As we announce plans to construct a new temple, it becomes part of our sacred history. Now, please, listen carefully and reverently. If I announce a temple in a place that is special to you, may I suggest that you simply bow your head with a silent prayer of gratitude in your heart. We do not want any verbal outburst to detract from the sacred nature of this conference and the Lord's holy temples. Today, we are pleased to announce plans to construct more temples to be built in the following locations. Pongo, American Samoa, Okinawa City, Okinawa, Neyafu, Tonga, Tuala Valley, Utah, Moses Lake, Washington, San Pedro Sula, Honduras, Antofagasta, Chile, Budapest, Hungary. Thank you, my dear brothers and sisters. As we speak of our temples old and new, may each of us signify by our actions that we are true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we renovate our lives through our faith and trust in Him. May we access the power of His Atonement by our repentance every day. And may we dedicate and rededicate our lives to serving God and His children on both sides of the veil. I leave my love and blessing with you, assuring you that revelation continues in this, the Lord's Church. It will continue until the purposes of God shall be accomplished and the great Jehovah shall say, The work is done. I so bless you and bear my testimony that God lives. Jesus is the Christ. This is His Church. We are His people. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.
Our dear God and Father in heaven, we are so grateful for these wonderful two days of general conference of thy church, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are grateful for the message that came through thy prophets, seers, and revelators, and other church general authorities and officers. Give us, please, a strength to follow the counsels and to make our life better and to make us to be more close to thee, Father. We are so grateful for every blessing and for thy tender mercies for us. And we say these things. This has been a broadcast of the 189th Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Speakers were selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music was provided by the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. This broadcast has been furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. <laughs>